Hi everybody to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Pork Rinds McKay, and with us as always is uh, Bubba Rheingold. Bubba, how are you? Bubba couldn't make it tonight. He got his hand caught in the mail mail slot again <laughs> because his the his subscription to Porcupines and Gunpowder uh, came in early, so he was so <laughs> excited that he decided to to jam his hand in there so my name is Ruspit T Tompkins I'm here to talk to you tonight about a very important movie Smokey and the Bandit part 3 now unfortunately Burt Reynolds couldn't make it for this one cuz he was too busy making Cannonball Run part 1 at this point so um <clears throat> they just get a guy who literally just looks like Burt Reynolds and with a fake mustache but they could still get uh, Jackie Gleason to be the fat sheriff. So it's it's one of those bizarre character-focused shifts that happens in latter sequels when the main actors can't come back. It's sort of like how Michael Gross becomes the main character in the Tremors movies as they move along because by the time you get to part three, even Fred Ward is like, I can't do this anymore. So, <clears throat> so yes, Jackie Gleason's uh, evil sheriff is the main character in Smokey and the Bandit 3, and they start off the film with a very ill-advised uh, Patton parody that is um, not funny and goes on for about six minutes. But it was okay, because, you know, I was watching it and on my, my TV box, eating some pork rinds and onions. They say you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, but they have never seen some of my work. So, that's fine. I had a couple strokes. <laughs> On the way here, I had a stroke when I was in the vehicle. I had two strokes. <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore. What is happening? Is this even a show? I don't think this is even a show anymore. I think this is what our show has become. It's become... A debauchous, bloated. This corpse. is not. I mean, it, de- it definitely doesn't have anything to do with Godzilla. No, it wouldn't, by any chance, have anything to do with. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Uh. Nathan Bear <laughs> crying in the corner, as always, is Michael Kelly. Mike, you told me there'd be more Jack Daniels than this. I told you I would do. I would continue reviewing the High Size series, but I had to be drunk. I'm not drunk yet. I'm buzzed, but I'm not drunk. (laughs) Well, I I think that sums up uh, today's episode as we review uh, Godzilla vs. Destroya. Godzilla vs. Destroya, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. Destroya, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. Destroyer, depending on how you pronounce it. To put this movie in perspective... uh, Earlier this week, I had the uh, privilege to watch one of the most uh, beautiful films from uh, Japan. Uh, it was not Godzilla vs. Destroya. It was 1954's uh, 24 Eyes, starring Takamine Hideko and uh, directed by the wonderful uh, Kenoshita. Uh, that almost numbed the pain from watching Godzilla vs. Destroya. Uh Godzilla vs. Destroyer. If you want to just keep talking about that other movie, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I kind of want to, because this is basically the swan song of a series that just went way too out of control. People were either either 
people behind this were either A, too old, or B, too young to have anything to do with making movies of this caliber. Very ill-put-together theories. Ill-thought-out. I mean, um, look, look, the Godzilla films have never been one for airtight plotting, but, you know, there are some very devastating pacing issues that run wild through all the high side movies. This film is no exception. Um, I will say that it does, for me, earn a lot of points for acknowledging the existence of the Oxygen Destroyer. Like someone finally, at last, in another Godzilla movie, remembers that, hey, the Oxygen Destroyer was used in the first Godzilla movie, and that killed him instantly, you know? It's like... That to me is is like an establishing. Uh, it's a basic link of intelligence, but it's like, hey, yeah, okay, that worked one time. Let's use it again. Same thing with the cadmium missiles that were yeah. used in Godzilla 1984, where they, for some reason, at, between this film and that film, had completely forgotten about. They remembered the Super X briefly for Biolanti. Unfortunately, they forgot the fact that the cadmium missiles pretty much killed Godzilla in 1984. We, you know, if it weren't for the freak happening of two nuclear missiles colliding above Tokyo causing a uh, lightning storm that revived Godzilla. If it weren't for that coincidence, Godzilla would be dead. A couple of, uh, of factoids. We've got... Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 director uh, Teiko Akiwara back in the director's chair. Mm-hmm. And um, he has learned nothing in regards to uh, tightening up his film or cutting out extraneous subplots and characters that don't need to be in there. In fact, he's taken several steps backwards since uh, the relatively watchable uh, Mechagodzilla 2. I thought was uh, not bad, actually. But um, does Destroya... <sighs> I do like the fact that it cuts down on, like, totally over-the-top, crazy, Bond villain, mad scientists, aliens, time travelers. Like, that, they've curtailed. Mm-hmm. And and in place of that, they actually have a cool threat for Godzilla to fight um, that is tied in, again, with the original film. That, I really appreciate it. And it's a monster... That's made out of the oxygen destroyer, or is a just like Godzilla is a product of nuclear warfare. This destroyer is a product of the oxygen destroyer, and it brings it all full circle. This was, I think, Tanaka's last film producing. Yes, it was his last film. It was also the last film of Momoko Kochi, uh, who uh, you may remember as Emiko in the original Godzilla. In 1954, she reprises her role as Emiko. Uh, her acting skills were apparently uh, so precise that they were able to shoot all her scenes in one day. Uh, Mr. Uh, Taco was apparently quite pleased with her work. Uh, I only wish that she had been more prominent in this film because I'd say that her acting is probably the height of achievement of the series. <laughs> well, when they bring her back, all of a sudden, you know, it's weird because it's like all of a sudden there's a real character back on the screen and you're just like, you're watching and you're just like, oh, kill me. And then, oh, but, but, 
Emiko? Yeah. From uh, Godzilla nineteen fifty four shows up. You're like, oh, it's it's Emiko. She's old now, but she's you know okay. Like uh, I'm interested. Yeah. Let's uh, and she she's great. Yeah. She and she only has a handful of scenes, but she you know she does all the heavy lifting. And, yeah. Um, easily the most interesting character in the movie again. It's uh, such a shame for uh, an actress that. Uh... Yeah, you know, she she's not as well known as many of the other famous actresses of Japan, uh, excluding us. You know, with who with our love of the uh, Godzilla and Toho uh, kaiju and sci-fi films. Uh, but you know, she's not quite up there with you know Takamine Hideku or uh, you know Sasuko Hara. But uh, you know, certainly you know, a, quite a talented actress with quite a long career, both. Uh, on screen and uh, uh, on the stage performing Shakespeare. So, you know, she had quite a long career that uh, <laughs> um, ended with Godzilla. Yeah, unfortunately, this was her last film. Mm. She died after this. Uh, Tanaka died mm-hmm. after this. Akira Fukube turns in his final score. He retired after this. Um, he actually held on for another 11 years, though, but this is his last score. Um, he passed on in 2006. I think Afuku Bay's score is um, quite good. Yeah. In fact, his theme for uh, Super X3 is one of my favorite pieces of music that he's ever done. I mean, it's really, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like in... When he originally thought he was done with the series in uh, 1975, when he was doing Terror of Mechagodzilla, he had these sort of kind of melancholy, majestic, you know, themes and sort of grandiose things, trying to make it seem important and like, you know, trying to impart his wisdom somehow through his music and Mm -hmm. making it classical and trying to make it epic or whatever. Because he thought that was going to be the last thing that he was going to say for yeah. the series. I think by the time you get to 1995, he I think he knows this is going to be his last score. And he's like, it sounds like the score of a young man. It sounds mm-hmm. like someone who's trying to be vital and focused and pump as much energy in there as possible. And it's really, just in this last score, he kind of kicks back into that mode he was in in like the mid 60s where it's just like okay now I'm going to do this and he and he makes some some really cool uh new themes and um certainly the end where Godzilla uh, spoiler yeah. alert dies um is you know some some great music there and some really cool things done there and then again really dig the Super X3 theme yeah. very cool piece of music yeah um, and yeah, definitely the fanfare is Godzilla is dying, uh, being frozen to death, and then eventually melts and uh, gives life to Godzilla Junior. Uh, I think it's definitely you. It makes you want to uh, cry in a good way, as opposed to the, you know, earlier two and a half hours of the film where you want to cry out of pain, sorrow, loneliness, depression, yeah. <laughs> empty. Emptiness, or the previous film where you realize Godzilla is going to be fighting a space Godzilla, and then you want to cry because of your life choices that have led you to watch this film. That's fine. That's no problem. Yeah. Hey, Space Godzilla's got his fans. There's yes. a lot of them. Yes.
Uh, speaking of which, uh, please don't call anymore. We we love we, our privacy. We, and we, we value our lives. <laughs> um, this film was still successful. Very. You know, it made uh, two billion yen um, in ticket sales, which is adjusted uh, $18 million U.S. gross. So still pretty well, but I think Toho at this point was like, okay, we've done seven films in ten years. Let's give it a break. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's exactly what they did, and they knew they wanted to go out on a, on a, on a big note. Um, originally, when they were making the film, like, you know, one of the first concepts was that Godzilla uh, was actually going to be fighting the ghost of the original Godzilla. He was going to be fighting the, the Godzilla from 1954. Mm. And they got sort of far along in that concept, but then it was decided, it's like, look, the last two guys he's fought, he fought Mecha Godzilla and then he fought. Space Godzilla. <clears throat> and, um, you know, just to have him fight another Godzilla, like, this is just the laziness factor. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know, the we're not trying any more factor uh, jacks up from uh, totally transparent to, uh, you know... Blatantly in, in, obvious. <laughs> inexcusable. Uh, so, although I do like the idea of the ghost of the 1954 Godzilla coming back. I think that's kind of a neat idea, but maybe do that instead of uh, Space Godzilla. Yeah. Maybe. Or, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But then they they switched over to Destroya. Open up with uh, Godzilla destroying Hong Kong. Well, first, yeah. not to correct you, sir. It's not my intent to correct you, but Miki oh, goes right. to Birth Island, the creatively named Birth Island, where mm -hmm. uh, Godzilla Jr. was birthed. Even though technically he was born in that lab, so that should it should be Birth Lab, and just <laughs> never mind. Anyways, um, and th basically the island is gone. Yeah. And they surmise that uh, some type of volcanic explosion of some kind happened and wiped out the whole island, which of course makes no sense at all. Because if it was a volcano, then it would have created a new island instead of destroying one that already yeah. existed. 
And uh, being Japan, you'd think that would be like one of the base. That, that's like probably that, they know what, islands. Yeah, they are an island. Yeah, <laughs> an island nation. In fact, just recently they added a new island to their chain because a volcano erupted and formed a new island. So, Excellent. Yeah. So uh, that, that should be you know Japan one hundred and one right. volcano island. But uh, so yeah, so they're flying over and they see the blown up remains of. Uh, uh, of this island, you know. Uh, mermaids? Yeah, mermaids. <laughs> For those of you at home, mermaids are remains of mermaids. Continue. <laughs> uh, cut to a Qantas uh, airline flight, uh, the safest airlines you can ever fly. I know this because uh, I saw the trailer for Rain Man. Uh, and um, as the Qantas flight is taking off, Godzilla appears and nearly blows up. <laughs> The safest airline you could possibly take. Uh, and Godzilla is, like, glowing red. He's shooting red flame. He's clearly not not, not doing too well. Uh, and he uh, yeah. proceeds it, to blow up half of Hong Kong. He, he looks like he's, uh, yeah, on a bad trip or got yeah. on. <laughs> it's like there's something very, very wrong with him. He definitely took the uh, blue acid yeah. at that concert. I want to think this is some kind of metaphor for mainland China repossessing Hong Kong from Great Britain. Uh, but like I said, that's what I want to think it is. I The reality is it's probably just, well, we haven't seen Godzilla blow up Hong Kong yet. Let's have him blow up Hong Kong. You know, it's cheaper than Singapore. Let's just do it. So maybe, maybe not. We'll let history and whatever decide um but i'd like to think as a you know historian that that was specifically what they were going for i also like to think as a movie fan that inspector tequila from hard boiled was uh <laughs> hanging out on the streets of hong kong when that happened and attempted to stop godzilla via sliding down a handrail and shooting 245s that somehow magically contained betwixt them 45 bullets yeah uh, Full of without, without, missiles. Yeah, without yeah. reloading. That's okay. Uh, but no. I Yeah. So it's he, Godzilla destroys Hong Kong for reasons uh, that are never really explained. Yeah. Do, do they talk about why he's in Hong Kong? No, I I, I think it's had something to do with... I, at first I thought they said it had something to do with like volcanoes or something like that pattern. But he like... Through this movie, he goes from Hong Kong to Taiwan... Which they never show any destruction of Taiwan or anything. He just like passes by or something, which is odd. Um, and then finally, all the way back to Japan. Um, so yeah, he's just visiting Taiwan. He's got friends there. Yeah, he's got friends there. They realize uh, naturally with all that you know glowing red stuff around him that uh, something isn't quite right with Godzilla. Uh, so uh, they determine that he is going to explode. Well, they need to consult an expert. Yes. They need to, you know, and one of the interesting things about the High Side series is you can see this, you can see the infrastructure of this, this war room, this, this, whatever this place is that they, they have the giant monitor where they track Godzilla and all the army mm -hmm. generals are there. It keeps getting more and more futuristic as the movies go on. So by the time you get to Godzilla versus Destroy, it looks like the bridge of like a Klingon warship or something. It doesn't even look like something like a war 
base. It looks like a futuristic thing, and like there's all these like science fictiony, you know, generic, you know, monitors with like unnecessary parts and like tubes just hanging down from the yeah. ceiling for like coolant to something. Who the fuck knows what's going on? You think on. they'd save a lot more money and be able to take care of Godzilla a lot better if they just had simplified the war room. Right. The point is, the machines and the computers have clearly gotten more powerful because they can now track Godzilla's you know, body temperature at all times and all this other stuff. But they have to go to this college student, uh, Kenichi Yamane, uh, portrayed by Yoko Ishino, uh, and just on his, like, Apple II... He yeah. has like he has put all of this together that Godzilla is about to uh is about to go nuclear and and explode. By the way, this is the first time the internet is actually mentioned in a Godzilla film where they actually specifically mention internet. Yeah. You know, it's just It's like, a big moment. Yeah. It's just like, wow, that, that we've crossed that yeah. <laughs> we've crossed that barrier. Um yeah, so they they have to get uh, Kenichi Yamane and he wants nothing to do with it. Um he is the son of the guy from the original Godzilla whose family gets wiped out on the island at the beginning of the film, and then Dr. Yamani takes him in and adopts his father, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, so so the scrawny bald guy in the 1954 version... Had a kid. Yeah. This is his kid. <laughs> and the kid ha- is a genius, apparently, because, again, with the assistance of his Apple II, has figured out, uh, A, that Godzilla is going to explode, <laughs> and B, that it's going to ignite the um, the atmosphere of the entire planet in a giant thermonuclear explosion that will kill everyone um, on his Apple II. But like he said, he wants nothing. He to wants do nothing it. to do with it. He wants zero to do with it. And then, so the the uh, the guy that we should know his name by now because he's been in every movie since Biollante, but uh, we'll just call him Japanese Michael Douglas gets a phone call on his um, uh, Zach Morris's father's uh, flip phone from Saved by the Bell. Yeah. You know the 1995 uh, cellular telephone. And he's, it's a call from Miki, and Miki is like, hey, just call to say hello. And he's like, oh, Miki, yes, good. I'll be, I'm right on my way or whatever, you know, because Miki is, is, is informing him of the uh, um, vanishing of Birth Island or whatever. The point is, is that uh, Kenichi overhears that Miki is talking to this guy, and he's like, oh, I didn't know Miki was going to be involved. <laughs> You know, I'm on my way. I'll leave right now. And he's like, he grabs like a couple of things. He grabs like an extra shirt, like one shirt, leaves his computer on and leaves several lights in the house on. And they're just like, let's go. And they just walk out of the house. Apparently uh, power bills of her are of uh, no consequence after you've purchased Apple II. <laughs> right. Um, so hopefully he's got all that stuff worked out. Um, but yeah, so he just abandons his house because I guess he's just really, really excited about working with Miki. And you can tell because she is very charismatic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. So um, while, while that's going on, uh, there is another professor uh, who is uh, doing uh, research on 
micro-oxygen, which uh, coincidentally is the same experiments that Dr. Serizawa was doing in 1954's Godzilla. So basically this guy is uh, working with very deadly technology, um, which is uh, described by uh, Emiko, who uh, has uh, somehow remained alive all these years. And yet um, uh, Akira Takarada's character... He's nowhere to be found. Yeah, he's nowhere to be found. So I guess they didn't make it. So Sirizawa sacrificed himself for no reason. Yeah. So just That's like, kind be, of a be happy down. together, and I'm I'm sure like after she was done crying, it's like, yeah, listen, thanks for taking me to like that night of you know Mozart or wherever it was you were going to take me back in 1954, but I, I just don't think this is going to work out, you know? It's, yeah, it's pretty yeah. pretty devastating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you only work for like maritime insurance or whatever. I mean, that that's that can only lead me so far. So, yeah, so they either made it or, uh, you know, oh, uh, Ogata died or whatever, but... Uh, Akira Takarada, nowhere to be yeah, found. Yeah, Akira Takarada, nowhere to be found. Apparently he was perfectly fine to just, you know, stand around and say, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, in, uh, Moth- in Godzilla versus Mothra. Battle for Earth. Yeah, but uh, apparently he, he couldn't be bothered with this, where he yeah. would actually be uh, worthy of reappearance. Um, He's probably doing a commercial for Suntory or something that would pay him more. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Emiko is quite uh, naturally upset about this uh, crazy young person using, uh, you know, the same ideas that Serza tried to destroy so that way future generations wouldn't have to deal with this, etc. and so forth. So, um they do uh, some research and apparently, um, or they don't do research. Um, another subplot happens where a elevator in a in a mining shaft in, in a shaft apparently built to drill a um, a, bri- a tunnel under Tokyo Bay, an elevator shaft like melts and everyone runs away. So a, start, a string of mysterious occurrences. Happen. Right. Yeah. And they all tend to happen in around the same general area where the first Godzilla was killed yeah. in 1954. So the scientist takes some soil samples and he analyzes them. Yes. With his computer. With his electronic <laughs> computer. And he notices he, some, uh, he identifies a, an organism that shouldn't exist because it comes from a pre-cambrian uh time period how he knows this we don't know basically he explains it as there was a time on earth before oxygen existed and apparently there were creatures that existed on this planet before there was oxygen so yeah right so that that's his logic so uh and these things have been released or created. I think they've been they've been awoken. When Serizawa set off the oxygen destroyer in 1954, he killed Godzilla, mm-hmm. but he also blanketed Tokyo Bay with this anti-oxygen whatever, and that seeped into the rock and woke up these organisms that had been asleep for billions of years. 
parallels to Godzilla, who was either dead, dying, or a skeleton, depending on which, you know, theory you take back, uh, was awoken, mutated, what have you, by the hydrogen bomb. Right. So, you have, as we mentioned before, you have Godzilla, nuclear, we have Isatroya, oxygen destroyer. Right. So, um, so bad things are afoot, attacks start happening, and they start finding these, these beasts that apparently are doing several things. They're multiplying. Mm-hmm. They are growing larger at an exponential rate. They are beginning to uh, feed off of the local sea life. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they At one point, they break into an aquarium. They start devouring fishes in a seam... Uh, in a scene reminiscent of the original Godzilla, where Serizawa, you know, sets off a mini oxygen destroyer in that tank and vaporizes all the fish. Mm-hmm. That scene is painstakingly recreated. And um, anyway, so that is happening. At the same time, um, Kenshi goes back to the, uh, you know, we, we cut back to uh, the Defense Force Center. And Kenshi is informing uh, General Adno, or Adano, who's the same general who in all of these yeah. movies, and also made some hilarious commercials in character for these little puffy Godzilla chairs that you can actually blow up and sit in for, like, I don't know, outside concerts or something. <laughs> they look very comfortable. But anyways, uh, he, he informs the... Um, the general that they can't use normal weapons against Godzilla. They can no longer throw tanks at him. They can't shoot him with missiles anymore because they worked so well in the past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he if his temperature reaches twelve hundred degrees again, the the universe will detonate. And now the general's like, well, you know, we can't just sit here and not do anything. And it's it's funny because it's like, you know. What you were doing before was wasting people's lives and not getting anything accomplished <laughs> at all. You know, like like throwing tanks and helicopters into Godzilla has accomplished nothing. <laughs> you know, the only thing that worked was the Super X and the Cadmium missiles. Uh, I don't know, it's amazing. But like, he's so let, he's like so disappointed and like uh, baffled mm. that, that uh, Kenshi is saying these things. And, uh, Anyways, so he's like, we can only use freezer-based weapons. And that is when uh, another guy is like, ah, luckily we have the Super X-3 with cadmium missiles, and all of its missiles are freezing-based. Yeah. So if we shoot Godzilla, the head of the rockets or all of the weapons explode, except they explode in an, it's an anti-explosion of like minus 200 degrees. So it'll blow up on him, but it'll lower his temperature 200 degrees every, every, with every hit. Which sounds very dangerous. Yes. Um, I would not be like to be the guy in the loading dock, like loading up the <laughs> missiles into that thing. Must have pretty thick mittens. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so you get the launch at this point of the Super X-3, uh, the first attack on Godzilla. And it's a very cool fight. Um, and eventually they use some extremely primitive uh, morphing special effects to uh, morph Godzilla in just his regular suit into a sort of a frozen 
Godzilla. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I don't know. Near stop mo- It's kind of like the cross between CGI and stop motion. Well, it, it just looks like the end of the music video, Black or White, where Michael Jackson was just turning into, like, different people from around the world or whatever. Same, mm. I think it's the same exact software. Or, like, from Willow. <laughs> yeah, or y- the tiger know, and the, uh, Yeah. Or whatever uh, where, where, Yeah, when, um, what's-her-face is, is turning into all the different animals. It's the same, same thing. Yeah. So um, the point is Godzilla gets frozen, and um, Super X-3 has done its job, and it goes back to base or whatever, and Kenshi is punching up the numbers, and he's like, well, what's happened is we've bought ourselves three weeks, mm. and but, however, since Godzilla's temperature has been lowered, he's not going to explode anymore, he's just going to go critical, and he's going to melt, and those remnants those remains are going to melt uh it's going to be a literal meltdown yeah like it's it, got, he's going to he's implode going to, all the way right exactly it's going to be like the china syndrome he's going to melt into the surface of the planet and mo- and like go all the way into the core of the earth and that I guess is going to like destroy the world. Like all the volcanoes in the world will erupt at the same time and everyone will still get killed and then the planet will explode <laughs> or something. So you still have, you know, that ticking clock where it's like, well, we're still fucked, but you know, we've got a few weeks, but now things are kind of worse in a different way, but at least that's not going to happen for a while. So, you know, we got to think of some new strategies or whatever mm. around this time. The destroyer creatures have 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 become very large, and they're they're bigger than a full grown man. They're like uh, crab like creatures. They're like crustaceans. Yeah, crustaceans like crab meets predator meets alien. Right. Uh. <laughs> Speaking of alien, there is uh, there's a scene where several of the destroyer creatures. Are uh, have invaded a oil refinery or yeah some sort of scientific place a place filled with pipes and yeah uh, narrow and steam corridors, and corridors <laughs> you know and darkness you know I believe that that that's you know shake and bake colonies yeah. <laughs> is what they call them you know uh, so naturally they said at- they they SWAT it's team. a fucking atmosphere processor <laughs> in the middle of uh, in the middle of Tokyo. So they send in the space marines from aliens. Basically, they've got they've got the smart guns, uh, except they're flamethrowers. But they've got that little sort of steady steady cam arm thing yeah. attached to their waist, so it looks exactly the same. And it's funny because I, I mentioned on the Godzilla 1985 episode that the, you know the pulse rifles looked like they were taken. Their design was taken from Bye Bye Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, so now. Which, again, was a film, the only other film that the director of Godzilla 1985 did was this uh, film called Bye Bye Jupiter from 1983, okay, where they have fucking pulse rifles, like the pulse rifles from Aliens. And then you look at Aliens, and of course, obviously, there's pulse rifles there, and um, then you jump to 1995, to Godzilla vs. Destroya, and they completely rip off Aliens... And obviously, many films have, have ripped off Aliens, but I just think it's funny that like it comes full it circle. comes full circle, <laughs> like in a huge way. And yeah. you can see how totally inept Taco is at filming suspense 
scenes, you know, they're just not the, the, the type of training you get from filming a, one of these kaiju battles. It's totally different filmmaking concepts from like tight, enclosed, you know, tense, suspenseful things, I, apparently, because that's the only yeah. explanation I can come up with. Because this which scene, is weird. there's good yeah. action in it. There's cool action beats, but it's, does, it's not successful. And it, it's never scary. Yeah, it never even approaches the it's level like of you atmosphere. Know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly, it never approaches the level of atmosphere from, say, the beginning of Godzilla nineteen eighty five. Yeah, or even like the scene in Rodan where they're investigating the cave. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like it actually is legitimately yeah. scary. Like that was incredibly scary uh, from Rodan. That was just like one you even when you see the monster. Normally, when you see the monster, you're not scared. But like when it comes out, it's like what the fuck, right? You know, this is. I know it's going to happen. It's going <laughs> to pop out. You know, I mean, it was cool to see, you know, guns, you know, going off and, you know, people going, ah, and exploding and black holes forming in the center of their chest. But it just yeah. isn't the same. It's not as suspenseful. And it's odd because, you know, Mr. Honda and Mr. Fukuda um, definitely had a variety of talent to create, you know, movies that sometimes mix genres. Right. You know, where it wasn't just big giant monster, it was giant monster horror. You know, right. you actually felt horrified, you felt scared or uncomfortable. Well, sometimes they would do like Matango, yes. where it's just yeah. that's just a horror movie. Yeah. It doesn't have any giant monsters in it at all. And by the way, a very effective one, you know, quite scary. So like they could do this stuff. They had the chops. Taco does not have the chops, <laughs> and there's a there's a prolonged sort of embarrassing uh, assault from one of the Destroya monsters on a car where uh, the reporter, who is the sister of uh, Kenshi Yamani, um, she is trapped in a car, and she is being harassed by one of these things, and it just goes on. For like seven or eight minutes. And Damn. it's just like, this is not suspenseful. <laughs> this is not effective. You know, what are you doing here? I mean, there's a scene, there's a part where the destroyer thing like, like cuts the car in half. Yeah. Which is sort of like poorly filmed. And it's like, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to harp on these guys for like trying something new. But you like, you've got to be able to do it if you're going to do it. I think know. the 90s were another tough decade of movie making in Japan. In the 80s, they started to bring things back. Um, in the 70s, a lot of it was exploitation because many of the older filmmakers had, uh, and uh, some of the, even some of the newer filmmakers had kind of lost their touch, or m because of the advent of television, things weren't working too well. 80s, things kind of came back, but in the 90s, things kind of fell apart again, and you get people, there was a whole genre of movies that were directly to VHS. Uh, and many future directors, such as Takashi Miike, who would, in the aughts, you know, really come in with movies like Audition, or, you know, or even films, I think, in the late 90s, like Itchy the Killer. Right. Um, you well, know, he cut his teeth on films like the Dead or Alive yeah. films, which are, like, insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, there were talented people out there 
but with the you know constant change of how media is being distributed and uh, received uh, by the public, and uh, with the advent of bootlegging, you know, uh, we we get to this point where we are now, uh, currently, where you know studios are like really reluctant to go with new exciting material. They will like take the oldest, most cliched things I can find uh, and present it to you in hopes that you will pay money to see the same story over and over and over again, exactly the same way you have seen it before. Right. So anyways, this disastrous attempt at suspense comes to a thankful conclusion. And um, yeah, I... Uh, Godzilla sort of resurfaces. I mean, Godzilla Jr. shows up at some point. Yeah, he shows up at a beach, and uh, he's looking better. Yeah, looking. He doesn't much, much better yeah. than he did in Space Godzilla. He doesn't look like Animal from Muppet Babies in this one, and that's a plus. That's uh, you know, that's that's very that's commendable. He actually looks like Godzilla this time, so that's yeah. nice. But unfortunately, he, his psychic link. Uh, with Miki is breaking. It is weakening. She can't really control him. She's losing him. Um, and so another psychic is brought in to uh, to help kind of wrangle Godzilla because Miki has essentially become a Godzilla wrangler at this point. So basically, from here on in, Godzilla, you know, Destroya begins to get even larger, yes. and uh, there's a there's a pretty cool scene where the Destroyers are like 15, 20 feet tall, and um, they actually send in the defense force with the Mazers and so forth to to stop them because it's like it's like a a swarm, yeah, uh, are are destroying uh, this this kind of highway. That goes runs over Tokyo, mm. and um, they kind of blow them up. And then, once you know, um, Destroya kind of comes out of like all, they they all get exploded, mm -hmm. and then they reform a la the T one thousand into one kind of giant Destroya, <laughs> which is through the magic of you know dated optical effects. Yes, um, and Destroya in this. Uh, Basically, is a lot like uh, Hedorah, where uh, he keeps going through multiple stages. Right, he can just change at any time. Yeah, to like he's got a flying mode, he's got his tank mode, and then finally the the final mode, which is a man in a suit. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so basically a combination of Predator, the Devil, and uh, with, with you know a Dino from. Uh, <laughs> From the Flintstones. I was going to say Kino from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Okay. I'm joking, of course. <laughs> I just wanted to mention Kino. At this point, they're like, okay, we this Destroyer thing, they figure out that it comes from the oxygen, the micro-oxygen. Mm -hmm. They figure, hey, look, we can't kill Godzilla with our normal weapons. He's going to melt down in a few days. As luck would have it, a monster that is has been born of the oxygen destroyer, uh, has just sprouted up within the last week. <laughs> the timing couldn't be better. Um, so we got to get these two together, you know, 
and, and see, you know, let the sparks fly. When these two peak, they're going to peak hard, you know. <laughs> um, so at this point, Kenichi suggests that the Miki uses Godzilla Jr. as bait. And, you know, because Godzilla's sort of been looking for Godzilla Jr. throughout the movie, lead Godzilla Jr. into the heart of Tokyo and Godzilla will go there, and then he will meet up headlong into Destroyer, mm-hmm. and uh, then they will they will fight. At which point, Miki is like, "No, I I won't use Godzilla Junior as bait. You know, I you know, and I don't want to hurt Godzilla at all, or whatever." At which point, uh, the other psychic, you know, like slaps her and is like, "Listen." You char- charismaless robot, <laughs> you mouth breathing, <laughs> humorless, thing. Hu- humorless automaton. <laughs> um, the world is going to explode. <laughs> We're all going to die. And what the hell is the matter with you? Like, obviously, Godzilla, and for that matter, Godzilla Jr., have to be killed immediately. Mm-hmm. And like Vicky's like, oh, it's it's the most gratifying scene because you've been waiting for it yeah. for like six <laughs> movies since Vicky was was introduced in Violante. You you've been waiting for someone to finally just say, "Hey, you stupid bitch! These monsters are killing everyone." You know, I'm sorry that you know you're they're your best friends or whatever or only friends, but like they're also horrible monsters that are killing at will. They need to be taken down. Here's the hard truth, and that is Miki has been compromised. She has Stockholm Syndrome. So, uh, and she's she's been compromised, and I think it's to the point where she is officially an enemy, and she should be considered a threat, yeah. and she actually needs to be neutralized. <laughs> I don't think she can be trusted anymore. She clearly sides with Godzilla on most things. Yeah. I think she thinks of herself more in line with Godzilla's sensibilities and his goals and, and, you know, aligns herself that way. She's a dangerous, dangerous threat. Basically, she's just as dangerous as the confidentless, you know, military commanders yeah. who are just throwing wave after, after wave, wave Slaughtering these troops, you know. <laughs> All these people are fools, you know. <laughs> None of them are doing anything productive. This kid with his Apple II computer... Is like getting everything done, you know. Like he could just be running a separate Japanese defense force from his apartment, and and he basically is at the beginning of the movie. I mean, he's he's figured out everything that they have figured out. These characters are useless, <laughs> anyways. And so, these are the stock characters. These are the, these characters, are the characters that have been around for like yeah, exactly that we have. We're hoping would have, and almost do, have these, like, character changes, but alas, it just seems like it takes them being, like, either slapped or told the hard truth to actually come around to our side. Oh, yeah, that wasn't working, and this isn't working. We should probably come up with something else. To try and kind of put this into perspective, if you're, like, a Star Wars fan, this would be if, like, if they went through the entire Star Wars trilogy, except the main characters were, like... Uh, Uncle Owen and like Moan Matha, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like, the, the, why are we following these people? Yeah, it, it, it's. I I don't know. I guess like if you the, the idea is that oh she's psychic that makes her interesting and marketable, but uh, you know it's like Nick Adams in Godzilla versus 
or Monster Zero, you know, definitely a very three-dimensional character. Definitely makes a lot of hard choices. Definitely changes. Right. Throughout Has the a film. character arc. Yeah. And he and Akira Takarada are like very, you know, into what they're doing. This is like, this is a dark remake. So we are going to stare at each other intensely, do lots of, ha, huh, hmm, ah, I see. Right. You know, and, and that doesn't really, that doesn't really add to character. That's just, emotions right after miki has been carefully explained to her for a half an hour that godzilla is actually a bad monster (laughs) and should be killed uh she decides to go along with the plan so she directs uh godzilla jr to uh tokyo and godzilla follows him there by this time destroyer has has taken on his this kind of giant crab-like form yes and uh, Godzilla Jr. attempts to, to fight Destroya. And Destroya says, Behold, I have become death, destroyer of worlds. Just kidding. He just, uh, you know, bites Godzilla's th- neck. And- he, um, <laughs> well, yeah, he he messes him up pretty good. Yeah. And uh, they have a little they have a little spat or whatever, but Destroyer, like, definitely wins. And then Godzilla sort of comes in. Finally. Finally. <laughs> And uh, he hoses down Destroyer with uh, a lot of fire breath and um, sort of kind of temporarily wins mm-hmm. the fight. And uh, Destroyer, like, I think by now he's assumed his full-on, like, man-in-suit form, mm. I think. And so Godzilla and Destroyer have, have sort of their initial fight, but then Godzilla, you know, hoses him down with the fire breath. Mm-hmm. And then he goes over, and Godzilla kind of goes over to, to Lil' Godzilla, and he kind of gets him back up or whatever. And then Destroyer comes back, knocks down Godzilla, picks up Lil' Godzilla, and this is, oh god, this is my favorite scene in all the high side movies. Flies Lil' Godzilla over, and drops him like two miles uh, vertically down into this uh, airport or whatever, and he threw like, you know, the uh, whatever um, onto the building. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, I just love it because, uh, I hate Godzilla Jr. <laughs> hate all these characters and I want them to pay. Um, so yeah, they're basically killing little Godzilla at that point. Um, which was very, again, very satisfying. Um, and so yes, this angers Godzilla. And, uh, so he and, um, Destroyer have basically like the the boxing match from Rocky Four, where like the part of the montage where they're like they're just both covered in blood, yeah, and they're just like hitting each other. Like every hit is like a haymaker. Like they are both suffering from massive amounts of 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 damage. Destroyer has this like psychic blade thing that it keeps cutting Godzilla with. Yeah, and, like, Godzilla bleeds, like, white blood. Yeah. And then uh, Godzilla punches Destroyer in his, like, chest mouth, which, like, opens up and green blood pops out, but then it, like, in the next scene, it's, like, perfectly fine. Some weird thing like that. Things get pretty funky there. Godzilla has been cut so deep that when he is shooting his fire breath, you can actually see, like, from within his body, like light kind of shooting out from the cuts yeah. because it's like some of the energy is escaping through the, his wounds. 
which that has never been done before. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Godzilla, you know, shoots him with some more fire breath and he falls over. And you're like, okay, well, I guess Destroy is dead now. Godzilla slowly walks over to little Godzilla and he kind of cries next to him for a little while. And, you know, he's very brokenhearted. It's a very sad little scene. And little Godzilla's eyes close. And you're like, oh, it's very sad. And, and Godzilla's kind of let... He, he's left there to contemplate things for a bit. And then Destroya comes back. And uh, so you've got round round three, where they are really, like, just taking chunks off of each other. Um, and around this time, Super X3 swings into battle. So now you've got a Godzilla and Super X3 double-teaming Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And um, Destroyer, like, tries to get away. It knocks down Godzilla. One of the cool parts of the of the battle is it wraps Godzilla around its tail and is, like, dragging him around, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool because there was actually some energy yeah. there. It was actually... They weren't just hitting each other with lasers or whatever. That was neat. Um, but, yeah, eventually... It, you know, Destroyer knocks over Godzilla and he's like flying, like he's going to go away like Ghidra, but then Super X3 comes in, nails him with the Cadmium freeze missiles and Destroyer falls from the sky and hits the ground and explodes like the T-1000 into a bunch of shards which, and is dead, which, I yeah, think. Which is significant because Godzilla does not kill Destroyer. That's correct, Nate. Godzilla is he can't. He's too fucked up. Yeah. He's too wounded. So he needs the help. Also pretty significant that the Japanese Defense Force was finally able to actually defeat uh, a kaiju. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think, is this the first time that has happened? I want to swear, I I, I swear there was like another monster in a previous series. Manda was destroyed by Ataragon. Well, they kill Rodan. Yes, they kill Rodan. At the end of Rodan. But, um... I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so like they freeze Manda and Atragon. They uh And I do like the I like the pilot yeah. of the Super X3 because he's just uh, totally over it. Yeah. It's just like this is a waste of my time. Like he never breaks a sweat <laughs> at all. He's just like, "Well, this is really going to make my day." <laughs> Damn it. You know. I'm going to destroy these <laughs> monsters or die trying. It's like I got, you know, this better not take long cuz I got to go home and drink some scotch. You know, he's very Blue label. <laughs> yeah, he's very, uh, very no nonsense and not impressed at all you know, yeah. by anything that happens. You know, uh, unflappable. Yeah, or unfappable as the high size series. Oh, uh, it's very fappable. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So. Uh, that's it. Basically, Godzilla wanders into the clearing in this airport, like middle of the airstrip. And... He belches on Godzilla Junior, and Godzilla Junior like inhales. Somehow the the burp like goes into his mouth. Uh, Super X begins unleashing everything it has onto Godzilla. All the freeze missiles, possible cadmium shells, what have you. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful because they cut the sound or most of the sound out, and it's just the music right. and the imagery. And that's a beautiful moment. Like the first ten minutes of. Uh, the new Star Trek movie in two thousand nine. You know, it's just like a beautiful moment where it's just the music. And the imagery, and it speaks volumes more than any dialogue could possibly. Yeah, or, know, or, or sound effects that have been repeated 
to this point where you can't even hear them anymore. Yeah. So much of the high size series is just like, oh, well, there's going to be some so much explosions here, yeah. and there's going to be like these rockets going to hit them or whatever, and uh, or, or we're going to have the the Godzilla march one more time, or if we're going to have Godzilla roaring spectacularly and really loudly. It's like. And after like four or five movies, I can't even hear anything anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just like it loses all effectiveness. So here late in the game in this one, they start like, oh, wait a minute. We're just going to drop all the sound out. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh, wow. Like something different happened, you know. And this is where you understand another moment where you understand the importance of the film score to the movie. How it's almost a movie into a self um, where, you know you realize the significance of Mr. Ifibuke um, and how without the music, it almost wouldn't even be watchable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the hosing continues and, and Godzilla begins to melt down. His spikes melt. His flesh melts off of his bones. And, you know, it's, it's, pretty effective you know it's kind of sad and um he ends up completely disintegrating mm-hmm. and um then he's done and everyone's just sort of like looking you know, at monitors and there's a whole subplot with Mickey crashing in her helicopter and stuff which we won't go into because it's not yeah. important <laughs> but she's sort of looking on and um you know, Godzilla is fucking dead. Yeah. Um, they, they finally got him again. I mean, yeah. But they got this one. Um, and then, yeah, we don't know if maybe his soul or something happened to little Lil Godzilla, but sort of the last shot is the, is the silhouette of a sort of a kind of, kind of push through a whole bunch of fog and a whole bunch of smoke and then there is sort of this backlit uh, silhouette of, of Godzilla, a newly formed Godzilla roaring soundlessly, though. So pretty effective. And you're like, well, is that little Godzilla Jr.? Did he absorb all the energy and now he's big? Is it the ghost of the old Godzilla? What is happening? We don't know. And then it cuts to uh, footage from... Godzilla 1954 and does a, a montage from Godzilla 1954 and then the credits roll. Yep. And thus uh, ending the High Size series. Mm. So was well, now um, after this uh, Toho sold the rights to TriStar uh, and from which they made uh, Godzilla 1990, the 1998 version with uh, Matthew Broderick and uh, Jean Renoir uh who I think was the only Jean Jean Renault Renault oh god damn it Renoir is the painter painter yeah Jean Renault um so it was Jean Renault who's the only I think uh, real actor in that movie <laughs> speak for yourself Hank Azaria has done some special work on The Simpsons well I know he has done on The Simpsons but what he does in uh, Godzilla versus well, I, I guess you could say it's special, but not in the, the, the sense you're thinking. <laughs> oh, just in that movie? Who is good and who is not good? Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, when we do. We'll get to that. So, uh, But from that, uh, the anger from Japan leads to them creating Godzilla 2000, or as it is in Japan, Godzilla 1999. 
and that's where we're going to pick up next week. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a uh, yeah. thing, and things that the winds of change yeah. are on the horizon in the, the high size series. That an end, no more Mickey, and um, you know things things start to kind of pick up a little bit and. I do. I really like the Millennium series. There's a couple of really great movies in there. Yeah. Um, so. And they definitely, they definitely pick it up. They definitely change it again. Uh, you know, with all these movies, they always have to change for the times. Um, just you know, even in the original series, you know, the ones from the '50s and the ones from the '60s and '70s are all a little different, and they have to conform with the times they're being made. Same with the high side. No exception, uh, but I think the Millennium series not only works with the times, but uh, is able to create a very sellable, believable product. So, they, in other words, they finally get their stuff together. Yes, but um, you know, Godzilla versus Destroya—it's a watchable movie, <laughs> um, and. Um, you know, I would even to fans of the series, it's it's mandatory watching because it's you know they do sort of kill off at least one version of Godzilla at the end, and they bring back Emiko. So in a way, it's sort of like a real sequel to the original Godzilla. So just for that, you should probably watch it. Um, you know, is it the end all be all? greatest fight ever with Destroya? Is he like the greatest opponent ever? Eh, you know, I'll let you guys be the judge of that, but um, yeah. I think Destroyer is, you know, it's just sort of a roided up, he's like the yeah. Ivan Drago of, of Godzilla <laughs> foes, you know, it's just like, he's big, but the bigger they are, literally, the harder they fall. Yeah. Um, we want to thank you for listening to the program today. I want to remind you guys that we are, in fact, on Facebook at the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Uh, also, I am on uh, Twitter um, at Michael Kelly at Godzilla Pod War. And uh, yes, my roommate, Rebecca, who is the co host of the uh, Terror of Mecha Godzilla episode, is now running our Tumblr, Tumblr page. Yeah. So, what that means is uh, someone will be updating it more yep. often than almost never. Yes. Um, Which I think is a vast improvement. <laughs> exactly. Uh, continue to, uh, you know, subscribe for free on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Give us a review. Give us a review. Share us with your friends, family. Wanted to give a quick shout out to Godzilla Podwar Hour super fan Emerson Green. Uh, Mr. Green, thank you for creating your, well, I don't even know what you call them, GIFs? GIFs? Memes. Memes, there you go. Created a couple of lovely memes for the show, and we put them up on our Facebook uh, last week. So definitely check those out and like them. You know, that's that's cool stuff. Keep them coming, sir. <laughs> um, but yes, Godzilla vs. Destroya, over and done with. High size series. You know, we'll see you later. <laughs> Maybe. I don't. Will I ever watch any of these movies again? I don't. Well, no, I don't think I will. You know, I'm. I said that about Megalon. <laughs> uh, Megalon's a fucking masterpiece, man. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna go home and watch Megalon tonight. 